Let's uh, turn our attention to God's word. We are going to be reading, or I'm going to be reading, um, from Psalm 78, uh, verses 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Father and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commands our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Thank you, Matt, for reading today our passage from Psalm 78. I'm Champ Thornton. I'm one of the associate pastors. Pastor Curtis is away today, and so it is my privilege to open God's Word with you. We are looking at Psalm 78, and we do so at the beginning, almost the beginning of a new year, the close of this current year. And we are facing uh, an unknown future. 2022 has not been written. It's unknown. I'm confident that there will be plenty of brokenness. I know that we all want to uh, leave the brokenness of 2020 and 2021 uh, behind. And yet we know when we look to the future that we will face an unknown and broken future as well. And, you know, what really helps us as we think about encountering a broken future is the experience that other people bring to us. Okay, so think about this. So um, here's some kinds of brokenness. So if, if you have a cold and you go to the doctor, you are wanting to go to someone who says, oh yeah, I've seen this before, no problem. You want that kind of experience that helps you navigate a brokenness that you may not know how to handle yourself. Uh, there's another kind of brokenness, uh, your car. Maybe your car literally breaks down and you want a mechanic who has experience in the past and can say, oh, I fixed a thousand of these, I'll charge you a thousand of these, uh, no problem. You might uh, have problems with taxes or finances and you want an accountant who says, no problem, I handle this all the time. And the past is a really helpful guide as you think about facing an unknown future. You've seen how these specialists have handled things in the past, and you have confidence now knowing how they may handle the brokenness that you've encountered as you've moved into the future. So these are small things, taxes, colds, cars, compared to the real brokenness in life. The real brokenness that doubtless awaits us right around the corner in 22. 
So maybe there are close relatives and there's lifestyle choices that they have made that are at odds with the Bible. That's a kind of brokenness that's difficult to navigate. There may be work colleagues and you will find in months to come that they continue to put your faith to the test. It's a kind of brokenness in the future that's difficult. Then there may be your own neighbors, and you're not sure how to handle uh, their atheism. What kind of conversations? How do you engage? What about that kind of brokenness? Or maybe they're just difficult, or maybe it's your own children, and you encounter a brokenness that they bring into your home that they've picked up from friends or school or online. These are tough. Give me taxes. Give me a cold. Give me a card. That's easy. These are challenging kinds of brokenness to face. But just like taxes and colds and cars, we find comfort as we look to the unknown future by thinking about experts and how they've handled things in the past. When we take serious issues of brokenness and we stare them in the face in 2022, we can know that we can handle them because we have a God who's handled them in the past as well. And that's what Psalm 78 is all about. I don't know what you think about when you think about Psalm 78. Maybe you flip to the end and you go, it's 72 verses long. Yes, it's the second longest psalm behind Psalm 119. And no, we're not going to read every verse. And yes, we will get out at a decent time. Maybe when you think of Psalm 78, you think children's ministry. And that wouldn't be wrong because it talks about declaring the glory of the Lord and proclaiming it to the next generation. Yes, but it's not just for the next generation. It's for any generation. But Psalm 78 is largely a history lesson. We're going to get to that in a minute. I want to read the first eight verses again, the verses that Matt just read, because this is the intro to the history lessons that we're going to look at in just a minute. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. And I want you to notice, here's the problem. The problem is that they, the Israelites, forgot what God had done for them in the past, and that forgetting affected the way they handled the present and the future. And the problem just wasn't their memory. It wasn't a memory problem. It was a trust problem. Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, And arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Maybe you're a numbers person. I like history. But I don't like any kind of history. So if you want to bore me out of my mind, just give me a list of facts. This is what happened this date. I mean, you know, does it really matter that the, you know, the War of 1812 happened in 1812 and not 1813? I mean, you know, it's just the facts, right? But the drama and the story and the lessons of history, ah, now that is interesting. 
to me. So in Psalm 78, we've got history, but not just the bare facts kind of history. It's history with a point. And we're going to look at those points today in depth. So as we kind of preview the chapter from verse 9 all the way to the end of the chapter, all the way to verse 72, there are two history lessons. One and two. The first one runs from verse 9 to 39, the next verse 40 all the way to the end. And we are going to look at these lessons from history. And we're going to find that when God's people forgot what God had done, it affected the way they faced the future. And we are going to find out that their past is our past because their God is our God. Let's find out the lessons from history we have today for us. First of all, God has provided and he will provide. As we look back to the past, we see that God has provided. And now we look to the future, we can have confidence. Yes, he will provide again. Verses 9 through 12. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works. And the wonders that he had shown them in the sight of their fathers, that he performed their wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. So this is an example from history, but it is a bad example from history. We should not be like the Ephraimites. What did they do? It says that they're on the day of battle, and it doesn't specify like which particular incident, but apparently there was a time when one of the tribes of Israel, the Ephraimites, were faced with an enemy... And they were ready to go. They had their bows, bows and arrows. They were ready to go into battle. And on the day of battle, what did they do? They retreated. They fled. Why, verse 11? Because they forgot the works of God and the wonders he had done. They forgot the past, and that affected the way they were walking into the future. They should have recalled something, but they did not. So what should they have remembered? Well, the next handful of verses are not about the Ephraimites. Yes, it's more history, but it's the history that the Ephraimites should have remembered. Let's read together. It's talking about what the Lord did when he brought his people out of Egypt. He divided the sea, remember the Red Sea, and let them pass through it. And he made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. God provided for them in the past. What had he done? He had provided a way. He opened the way in the Red Sea and let his people pass. They needed guidance. He provided guidance. He gave them a light by night and he guided them during the day. He provided water out of a rock in the middle of the desert. God provided. That's the history lesson. At least three points here. He provided a way through. He provided guidance. He provided water. But he's not done. Let's pick up now in verse 23. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. And he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power, he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, 
and winged birds like the sands of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp, all around their dwellings, and they ate and were filled, for he gave them what they craved. God provided again. He provided bread, manna. He provided meat, quail. God provided again and again. So you see the history lesson with the point? What's the point? The point is Asaph, the author of the psalm, is reminding them the Ephraimites on the day of battle, they forgot that God had provided, that he had provided all these things, one after another. They had forgotten that, and so they turned back on the day of battle. Now, think about it. Isn't what the Ephraimites did one of the options that we face as we move into the future? When we face brokenness, isn't that one of the options that we're tempted to take? We're tempted when we face difficult situations and brokenness around us, we're tempted to retreat, to withdraw, to back up, to not engage, to isolate, to remove ourselves from the difficult problem and the hard conversation. And when we find ourselves, and we will find ourselves in that situation, we need to remember God has provided and he will provide. But there's another common problem. When we get to the next big bad example in Psalm 78, picking up in verse 40, we're learning this, that not only has God provided and he will provide, but God has delivered and he will deliver. We look to the past and we see examples of how God has delivered and we know that as we move into the future, we know God will deliver again. Can I read verses 40 through 43? How often they rebelled him against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They, God's people, tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. Get this. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zoan. So this is another bad example. And you notice what it has in common with the example we just read about earlier? Lesson number two here, the second history lesson, is that they forgot his works as well. It's happening all over again. Now, this is just a general statement. They rebelled against him in the wilderness. Which time? All the time. They rebelled against him. They for, why? Because they forgot his works. So in the first story, there was a specific situation, right? The Ephraimites armed with the bow, they turned and ran on the day of battle. And then this one's more generic. Ah, but if we keep reading, we get to a very specific instance. Let me read for us verses 56 through 58. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. So you see what the problem here is? The problem is idolatry. There were other idols, there were idols that they were tempted to look to to provide for them instead of God. So here we have an example 
not of retreat, but of surrender. You hear the difference? One is backing away, removing yourself from the problem. This example is becoming part of the problem. They join the other side. These two examples are meant to be matching pairs. Notice the slide. In verse 9, it says the Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. That's bad example number one. Now, bad example number two, in verse 57, it says they turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. It's very interesting, bow, in both verses, right? Not only that, but the word turned back, in verse 9, and the word twisted, in verse 57, it's the same word. These are a matching set. And these are always the problems that we have as we face brokenness in this world. We're always tempted on the one hand to with remove ourselves, to withdraw. We're also tempted on the other hand to just kind of capitulate and give in and not be distinct in this world. And once again, the reason for this, that they were not distinct, the reason they turned to idols and away from the one true God is the same reason. In both cases, it's because they forgot what God had done. Now, what did they forget? It's a different set of history lessons, and we're going to read it together. We're going to read verses 44 through 55. So it's a little longer passage, but as we go through, I'm going to give you a little advance notice here. Here's the uh, trailer before the movie, right? Here we go. And that is, we're talking about the plagues in Egypt. So here are the Egyptian gods. And all the, each plague is like a punch in the face of the Egyptian gods. So here we go, verse 44. He turned their rivers into blood so they could not drink of the streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locust and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamores with frost he gave over their cattle to the hail and their flocks to thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the first fruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Now notice he's not done with the Egyptians. Now they leave. Look what happens again. God delivers them once more. He led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. We're not done with the delivering yet. When they got to the land that God had promised them, what happened there? More deliverance. Verse 54, and he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out the nations before them. He apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. This, just like in the first block of history, there's history with the point. We have history with the point again. Not that God would provide this and this and this and this, but that God would deliver again and again and again and again. God delivered from the Egyptians and their supposed gods. He delivered them definitively at the Red Sea. He brought them into Canaan and all their idols, and he drove them out. We see 
that they need to be reminded that when they are tempted to worship idols, to look to things other than God to provide for them, they need to be reminded God will deliver. There's only one true God, and he is superior. I mean, the idols in Egypt and the idols in Canaan just got their teeth kicked in. And now they're looking to idols to provide for them? No, no, no. God is the one true God. He has delivered in the past, and he will deliver in the future. So, there we go. That's Psalm 78. We're going to go back now, and we're going to squeeze the sponge out even more to find what other lessons from history. But we've covered the two big blocks. The first bad example and the second bad example. They have, both of them had forgotten something God had done for them in the past. The first bad example, the Ephraimites, that God would provide for them, that he had provided. And the second, that he had delivered. Let's go a little further. Not only has God provided in the past and will provide in the future, has he delivered in the past, will deliver in the future, but he has governed in the past and he will govern in the future. So let me explain what I mean when I use the word govern. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about God's fine-tuned control of life. God's fine-tuned control over the lessons that we need. His fine-tuned guidance and control over how we face brokenness around us as we walk into 2022. So you think of a, a governor, right? You know, the governor, he's the, the ruler of the state, right? But there's also kind of governor that um, is a device that's on, let's say, a school bus to keep it from going over a certain speed limit. And so you've got, uh, it can, it's a controlling idea. God is controlling what we need and the situations we face so they go together beautifully, if not surprisingly. So here's what we're going to do. Let's go back and think about the first example again. We can pull the slide up. The Ephraimites, what was their problem? Remember, they retreated. They gave up. Why? Because they were in fear. They gave up in fear of something bad. And the solution that God gave is, I'm going to provide. They had forgotten that God would provide. And so, in fear of something bad happening, they withdrew. Now, notice the second bad example. They didn't retreat, they surrendered. They turned to idols, away from God. They didn't give up, they gave in. Not in fear of something bad, but in hopes of something better from the idols. And again, the solution God gave was, I will deliver. Okay, that's review, right? All right, now, think about this with me. Because it is so, it's almost counterintuitive if we really think about what God is doing here. The way, the lessons from history we need to learn as we face the future. So let's put the other slide up, the next one. So if you were writing the Bible... If you were writing the Bible and you were going to be giving the Ephraimites the pep talk before they went out to the field of battle, and I gave you two options. You've got the God will provide speech and you've got the God will deliver speech. God will provide what you need or God is able to deliver you from your enemies. Which one do you give to the Ephraimites before they head out? 
I mean, if I were writing it, I would say, I know which one. I want to talk about how God delivers from enemies so when we go out to the field of battle, that is what we need to hear. Let's go to the next slide. Not yet. Okay, my bad. But think about that. God didn't do that, did he? He said, if you're going out to battle, I want you to know that I'm going to provide. Hmm. Why? You know, I think if we go and face brokenness in this world and, we know, and our attitude is, our God can kick your teeth in. Our God can deliver. How are we going to engage with brokenness? We're going to be pretty hostile. Pride. A pride that says, we will crush you, wicked people. I mean, if you just visit over on Twitter or Facebook, you'll see this in spades. Very aggressive. But God knows this. When we face conflict with brokenness, he doesn't always promise us that we're going to win. God wants us, he wanted the Ephraimites to engage. He didn't promise the Ephraimites that they would win. We need the humility to walk into situations that are broken, knowing that whatever the outcome, however the conversation goes, whatever the result might be, God's going to provide. He doesn't promise you that you're going to win the debate, that you're going to win the conversation, that your stand for righteousness will mean that you continue to be employed. He doesn't make those kind of promises, but he does promise, I'll provide. So what initially turns out to be counterintuitive, actually, that's so wise. And the second example, let's go there. The second example, wouldn't it be what you would do, what I would do? You know, here's this idolatrous people that are looking to idols to provide for them. That which speech are we pulling out to talk to them? God will deliver or God will provide? I think I'd pull out God will provide. Why? Because they're looking to idols to provide for them, to provide whatever they want. On to God on demand, that's an idol. God will provide. I want to pull out the card that says, no, God will provide. The true God will provide. But there's a, a danger. There's a, a ditch to swerve into if that is how we approach brokenness in this particular scenario. Because what might happen is if we just kind of say, well, here are all these idols. They might provide. And here's God. He says he'll provide. You know? I'm hearing lots of promises here. I'll provide, I'll provide, I'll provide. You know, when we face brokenness, when we face conversations where it just seems really, really difficult, you know what we need to know? We need to know God's going to win the day. So on the one hand, we don't need to walk into a conversation pretty arrogant like, we've got this thing figured out, and our God's going to beat your God, but we need to have humility and confidence. Confidence that says, when we face other options than the one true God, we have no doubt who's going to win the day. 
So this counterintuitive nature, this fine-tuned way God is teaching us history, the way God is reminding us of what he's done, is so wise, he governs our teaching and our lives so carefully, because on the one hand, we could slip into pride. We've got this figured out. Our God's going to crush the evil. On the other hand, we need to be full of confidence that, yes, one day God will set everything right and we follow the one true God. So what seems to be counterintuitive is actually just so careful, so wise. God not only knows the past, but he knows our future and our propensities as well. And he governs his word and our lives accordingly. That's what he has done in the past, and that's how he's going to guide your future. God has provided, and he will provide. God has delivered, and he will deliver. God has governed, and he will govern. And then lastly, God has overcome, and he will overcome. If you read the entire psalm, which I would invite you to do, At the end of each of those blocks of history, verses 9 to 39, verse 40 to 72, at the end, all the way through, you're going to see the failure of God's people again and again and again and again. This is some stuff they forgot. And because of that, they failed again. But you're also going to see in both blocks of history, you're going to see God's mercy coming in and saving the day again and again. Regardless of how you have done in the past, God's mercy has the final word about your future. Let me read for us verse 67 to 72, just one example. It says, He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth which he founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. You say, what's all this? What's all this about Judah and Zion and David? What's, what's going on? Okay, so we didn't read it, but earlier in the chapter, it talks about the tabernacle, the place of worship, the place of God's presence, being at a town called Shiloh. But here it says, no, no, he is setting up a place for himself. It's Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And instead of the kingly tribe coming from the tribe of, of Ephraim, no, instead he's chosen Judah, especially King David. So what's the point? Why is he spending all this time talking about, I reject, but I choose? You know, when we look at the brokenness, not only around us, but like the brokenness in us, as we try to deal with the brokenness around us, the way Psalm 78 says that God addresses the brokenness is not by just fixing it, but replacing it. 
what's most decisive and definitive in your engagement with brokenness in this world is not how good and smooth a conversationalist you are. It's not how many apologetics books you've read. It's not how good and smooth, skillful a debater you might be. What wins the day is God. Jesus, the true and better David, came as the king that will conquer and remove all brokenness. And so you, as you rely on him, it's his victory that's going to win. It's his spirit that's going to persuade others. What a comfort that it's really not dependent on you and how amazingly good and gifted you are at addressing the brokenness around you because God doesn't just fix the brokenness, he replaces it. That's our hope. That's how we overcome, not by our own giftedness, but by looking to the one who gives his gifts to us. My family will tell you that uh, I can often be a source of annoying trivia facts. Did you know that? Like, yes, Dad, you've told us before. So, did you know that the month of January is named after an ancient Roman mythological god, Janus, who is, as I understand it, the god of doorways? And if you ever see an etching of this god representation, uh, it's one head with two faces. So if you stand in a doorway, you look back into the room you came from, you look forward to the room you're going to go in. So January stands at the doorway of the year. And then we find ourselves at that same juncture. We stand and we look back at the year behind, and we stand at the cusp of the year to come. But more than that, we look to the future and we anticipate the brokenness that we're going to experience, whether in conversations, like I mentioned earlier, whether with colleagues, neighbors, family members, children. But brokenness of a variety of sorts, both around us and in us. And our confidence moving into that room of brokenness is not going to be what we bring, but it's the one who has shown himself faithful in the past. Brothers and sisters, whatever we're going to face in this coming year, God has provided and he will provide. He has delivered, and he will deliver. He has governed in a fine-tuned way the lives of his people in the past, and he will continue to guide and govern your life in the future in a fine-tuned way as well. And we know the outcome he has overcome, and because of Christ, he will overcome. So we stand at an unknown threshold. We stand in the doorway of a year that we don't know what it will bring, but we know who goes with us and what he's done before. Don't forget. Let history be your new favorite topic. Let the history of what God has done be close to your heart. And never forget what God has done. Would you pray with me? 
Our Father, we thank you that you remind us because we do forget. You remind us because we get distracted. You remind us because there are things we love and trust more than you. You remind us because we're afraid. And you remind us of what you've done in the past. Your works that you have done, the wonders you have done. So Lord, let what you have done in the past Give us strength and courage and humility and confidence as we move into the future. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.